Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 52 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And for one more time, this is Mike. Tonight, on this final week of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast, we're covering 1989's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. This movie was written by John Hughes, who not only wrote this movie, but wrote the first two in the series. It's actually based on characters that he had written when he was a contributing member to National Lampoon magazine. This story was inspired by his uh, short story, Christmas 59, the same way that the original National Lampoon Vacation movie was based on Christmas 58. First time director in Jeremiah S. Chechik. He had done a couple of music videos up until this point, but this is his first like feature film. He hadn't done any television. He had done like two music videos, and they give him the reins for this one. Caroline, do you remember a long, long, long time ago in this podcast why this movie came up originally? Oh, my gosh. No. Why? Someone that we covered, someone that we've spent a lot of time talking about actually on this podcast in its 52 weeks, was originally tapped to direct this movie. <laughs> Well, it must be Chris Columbus. It is. It is that explorer <laughs> of holiday hijinks. Uh, John Hughes taps him to direct this movie. He meets Chevy Chase. And after just a few days, he calls John and says, I can't work with this guy. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't direct this movie. They had actually already shot some second unit location footage in fact, which actually ends up making it in this movie. But yeah, after after dealing with Chevy for just like, I think it was like a long weekend, he calls John Hughes and says, uh, I can't do it. You got to find someone else. And so they kind of scramble a little bit and they come up and they come upon uh, old Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a director. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, yeah, so Jeremiah S. Chechik, because Christopher Columbus uh, can't do this movie, he ends up going on to do a little movie called Home Alone. John Hughes also wrote that one and said, well, you can't do uh, Christmas Vacation. How about I give you this movie uh, starring this little boy who likes to throw paint cans at burglars? It was released December 1st, 1989. That's always a good sign. December 1st release. And the budget was $25 million with a box office haul of $73.3 million. The one-sentence plot summary for this one is the Griswold family's plans for a big family Christmas predictably turn into a big disaster. I feel like they used big a couple of times in that rather short sentence. They certainly did. And I don't know if disaster is totally accurate. Uh, you know, well, I mean, it all works out in the end, but there are certainly some hiccups along the way. I think the cat would certainly tell you it was a disaster uh, from Kitty Cat Heaven. So. <laughs> well, he's got eight more lives, Mike. Uh, not according to Cousin Eddie. Not according to Cousin Eddie, Carter, Cousin Eddie tells us quite he clearly. He, he used all nine lives. He there. burned the roll nine on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Cousin Eddie is definitely the best part of this movie for me. A hundred percent. Okay. All right. Let's get into the history with this movie. You can go first. I don't really. 
really have a history with this movie. This is this was a movie I came upon definitely fully as an adult. And so in 1989, you know, I'm 11. I didn't see this in theaters and this wasn't a VHS movie for us. So I definitely didn't see it at least until I was probably a late teen, but I think really more in my early 20s. I've watched it a couple times. It's not an annual watch for me. I know all of the big moments and I find all of them funny, but the little nuance moments, uh, the stuff that doesn't make the best like top 10 scenes of the movie reels always a surprise to me when i sit down and watch this because i don't i don't remember all of those parts this movie is 100 percent wrapped up into my parents and their love of certain actors so you know anything that bill murray dan Aykroyd, chevy chase steve martin any of those guys if they were in anything we were absolutely watching it so this was on our screen anytime it was on tv i mean you know now we have streaming services we're watching it all the time but i can remember sitting through so many commercials and everything just waiting for the movie to come back with with my parents and everything and this is the movie that like my own kids have chosen for like birthday party movies when they want to like rent out the theater in the last couple of years this is the movie they picked to play and it's just like generationally my grandmother laughs so hard at it my parents laugh so hard my kids laugh so hard at it for me it's like everything i want a a christmas movie to be It, it definitely spans that generational divide for me, it's it is my family. My dad is not necessarily Clark Griswold, but all the parts that happen, all the different shenanigans, you know, dealing with both sides of the family, and uh, you know, having to sleep with in with my sister or whatever, like all the different parts to it. This is exactly the slice of life that I grew up in. This like middle class dad's working, waiting for the bonus kind of stuff. Like it's all this is exactly my slice of the pie. It's all hardworking parents out there are Clark Griswold at some point in their life the desperation to want to do something special for your family and having it just constantly be more difficult than you want it to be than it even needs to be yeah i think we we all can relate you know hinging you know the big hope and dream present on a jenga like set of events falling into place in order to make that happen yeah i think we all could kind of like you know identify with that the the idea of the boss who just doesn't get it who only you know is making decisions based on the bottom line and that doesn't feel the effects himself but the employees feel the effects of those decisions uh, all of it and just a feeling like it's all going wrong all the time like dear god why can't i have a win please i need a win in the worst way possible lord knows i feel like clark griswold way more than i probably should i i certainly feel like ellen plenty now are you a fan of all of the national lampoon vacation movies you know starting with like i think it's 83 or 84 when the attempt to go to wally world comes out and european vacation is the second one you have this they take a time some some years off then they come back to vegas were you in for all of them or was it just this one was a family favorite. I'm in for all of them because I've had these vacations both as a parent and as a kid. I've I've gone to Vegas with my family, including my parents and everything. So like I've I've done all of these. Um, European vacation is is probably like my least relatable one because I haven't done that with my parents, but I have been to Europe, and so there's parts to it that are super funny anyway. I mean, I just I, Wally World. Uh, all of these movies are quoted all the time. If if anyone doesn't hear what you say. 
say, someone's going to go, the blessing at you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, if you just misheard, you're going to be hissed at like that. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many. All of my cousins wear the shirts of different parts of the movie at Christmas time. And the kids can come and go. Honestly, it's kind of hilarious how they do. But there's some specific staples like old cousin Eddie that have to stick around. Uh, for sure. And I think I think the idea that they change the kids out in all the movies is actually really funny. Uh, and, and I think itself as a casting decision is is a really good joke. I think it's a really good bit that I'm I'm happy that they always kind of stuck to. I, I was telling you before recording, I still think of Anthony Michael Hall. I guess I always identify as Russ in my head. And I know Johnny Galecki is playing him in this in this movie. But I, I told you, he was in Prancer, the other Christmas movie that we've covered from 1989. Mm -hmm. And I very clearly remember saying in that podcast, I've stared at this kid's face and I just don't see that it's Johnny Galecki. And I had the same exact feeling watching this. I don't know what it is. I don't recognize Johnny Galecki as I understand him in my head now as an adult in this kid's face. And usually you can. I was just watching the Get Back uh, documentary and they show a picture of like 14-year-old Paul McCartney. And I was like, that is... That is obviously Paul McCartney. The guy's face has not changed in 70 years. I can't tell you Johnny Galecki, though, from a hole in the wall. It's it's wild to me. I don't know. I think I might have some issue. The idea of the kids matter in, in a storytelling kind of way, but who they are and, and what ages they play, because sometimes it seems like some are older and some are younger and, you know, throughout the, the, the entire franchise, they only matter in terms of playing off of the parents and just like the you need some hijinks with kids and parents to happen or grandparents and kids to happen, but it just doesn't matter who they are, which I think allows us as the audience to step into their shoes because they're just kind of blank faces for me in those spots. There's a scene in this, though, that I, I did make me laugh in watching it when Clark asks Rusty to do something and he taps his invisible watch and he's like, ah, I gotta go. It was very, very funny because that's a that's a Chevy Chase thing. That's a that's a Chevy Chase go-to move. So I, I think it was funny because of that. But it, I don't know. I, I like when kids are sassy. I like a kid with a sense of humor. And so uh, that, that worked for me. Juliette Lewis has such a face on her all the time. Yeah. yeah. She is very she, identifiable, by, identifiable to me. She looks exactly like she will look, you she know. She plays Juliette Lewis every time. Though, every so time. I mean, she, she could clearly be in Natural Board Killers in this movie as well as like five years from now when she's actually in Natural Born Killers. So, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's move over to Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo because they are the two for me that this is a lot of what my life was like. It's not that my parents had these exact personalities or anything like that, but just the overall dynamic at the end of the day, the wackiness and the problem solving that has to happen, the, the constant like, you know, it'll work out and all this. Like, it's all so familiar. So I just love these and I love that they're throughout the franchise. They're just, I don't know, they just, they feel so right to me. Do you have any history with either of these guys? The Clark character actually has a lot of similarities to my father. So I, I, this all feels very familiar to me in the the madcap ideas of escalation, the the feeling of desperation. And so you keep trying to go bigger and bigger after every failure. That whole idea feels very familiar to me in growing up. There was never the wholesome payoff, though, at the end or we've learned a lesson or it all works out in the end kind of feeling. So here's the thing. You said something that stuck with me. These characters, your parents would always kind of follow, flock to the Bill Murrays, the the Chevy Chases. Me too, and my parents also, but Chevy Chase was very specifically not in that group. 
I, I, we saw everything. If Dan Aykroyd was in it, if Bill Murray was in it, Steve Martin was in it, Belushi, all of those guys, planes, trains, and automobiles. I, we probably wore out the VHS tape when I was a kid. Ghostbusters 2, I think I've said on this podcast, was also a 1989 release. That I did go see. It was the last movie I ever saw in the movie theaters with my father. We were there in the theaters for, you know, Ghostbusters 2, not for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Cherry Chase very much not part of that conversation i i grew up watching snl reruns uh mm-hmm. on like vh1 and and watching the original cast and you know garrett morris and bill and jane Curtin and dan aggregated you know gilda radner all of that cherry chase always my least favorite so so checked out on funny farm fletch all those funny farm was probably uh, funny farm i liked i remember liking funny farm i uh, fletch i've never seen oh my god chevy chase being above the title is not going to i need more than that to go watch a movie you better watch fletch now you should go watch fletch maybe maybe it'll be in our 52 <laughs> weeks of comedies maybe it should there's a whole franchise unto itself it's got fletch lives and all those ones yeah for sure for sure for sure you know like i watch Please. i watch community in spite of chevy chase i i yeah so okay well quit talking bad about him because we're definitely about it. but here's the thing though but here's the thing though this is where he's best doing this shtick the the trying very hard but kind of neurotic and and, and like cuts his nose off despite his face right and always kind of looking for the greener pasture right the the scene with like where he's like basically licking the window as he's having the fantasy about like the girl in the pool i'm gonna put like a big like big box around this one i have always disliked the implied lecherousness of clark like i dislike it so much because i because i like ellen and like she is such a great wife to him like she puts up with everything she's got this saucy outfit on for christmas dinner you know i mean it's got that keyhole cut out in the chest and everything like she's always adorable and fun and puts up with everything and supports and encourages him i wish that they could have just not had those but like, it was I such a, it, it was but, such a uh... central part of his character though and here's the thing beverly d'angelo is hot as hell if i'm 10 years older in 1989 i'm probably seriously infatuated with beverly d'angelo i find her super attractive i think that outfit you were describing is super sexy i never understood uh, the lecherousness of of clark's character it was the guys of the time who were of the clark Griswold age i think it's one of those things where you know like the locker room like hey, 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 kind of thing totally but that's but i think you could leave the hey, hey, hey. i wish he would leave it of at the store with the purchasing the underwear portion right because right. that part is like okay you can like laugh about the flirty saleswoman and about how he gets like sucked into it and uh-huh. he's embarrassed in front of his kid like he's like you can't even see the line hey russ he's, she's like nope dad like you can't like all that like right. that part's all funny leave it at that yeah. like, don't make us go through the undressing on the bathing oh i wish they just didn't go there right and the side boob is so weird and then you have the little girl find him uh, like all of that is just yeah. necess- unnecessary and and the recurring shtick in the other movies where he's driving right with the fantasy girl and and you get the same biz with it's the, the same it's, it's, it's a part of it's an established part of his character i guess that's the mm-hmm. point of it and the movie doesn't need it. It, it you could you could save two minutes in 
the in the runtime of this and i think it makes clark actually a much more likable character because i think it takes away from liking him it takes away from rooting for him i'm in it i'm rooting for clark so much for so much of this movie again because i identify as a dad who tries very hard to make things happen and feels like i'm casey at the bat all the time on things i i agree with you i wish we could put it in a box or have a a version of it where it doesn't exist so bev d'angelo so she is kind of the everly patient mother no 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 no. mom is not her role she's clark's wife okay like they really don't show her momming at all she barely moms she deals with clark all the time is she patient like to a fault though because i feel like we've seen a lot of the long-suffering wives in our christmas podcast it's a whole role unto itself i feel like we have had a lot of these podcast movies for this podcast where the dad has gone off on neurotic flights of fancy uh right we had matthew broderick in um uh, deck the halls most recently i feel like you have uh the mom in uh jingle all the way with arnold these wives are long-suffering and don't get a lot of screen time to have their own character as much as be there for their husbands. Is Bev D'Angelo's Ellen like the blueprint for that whole trope? I think she might be. Oh my lord. I mean, oof, is she the blueprint? No. I mean, I don't see how Donna reads any different. Interesting. So, no. I mean, I think that that role has existed forever and ever. I mean, I think we could go back. Yeah, man. I feel like every every Christmas movie, we've, you go back, Jack Frost had it. I mean, everybody had this wife that was doing this. That I all comes know. after this, I mean, though. That's, I guess that's why my point. Like, all the movies in the 90s and the 2000s. Donna. Not Donna. Uh, no, no, but the Jack Frost, though, and Kelly Preston, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the, the unbelievably patient yeah, but, wife. Oh, this is such a strange conversation. This is a, this is a wacky one. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't look at her like a suffering wife. Like, she's in this. Like, she is Clark's wife, and she's in this. Like, she, I don't think that she's rolling her eyes when she walks in the next room. Like, I think she's in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah, think she no, cries no, herself guess. to bed at night. Like, no, I don't no, think she's feeling no. neglected or sad or like she's like suffering. I think they're like a twosome in like their own wacky way. Like she's, she's encouraging this business. Like she never goes other and says like, leave the lights alone. Don't worry about it. Like, it's nothing like that. Like she wants to fix it. Interesting. I never looked at her like that. I always just looked at her as as just a very patient wife who just lets her husband go until he tires himself out. She does so many things herself uh, that are like these small moments. She's not the main. Don't don't get me wrong. He is definitely the main uh, monkey business, if you will. But she's she's almost more like a sidekick. She's not the typical wife. There's never an argument in terms of like this is it. Like, you can't Clark. do this right. kind of she, stuff. Right, like, right, no, right, no. Right. And so I mean that kind of stuff. And and again, like you don't see her going in the other room and complaining to the in laws or she has bought into being a Griswold. She is in it. I love that. Well, you know, I mean, that's how you make a relationship work for, for, you know, 20, 30 years. (laughs) Do you find this movie as funny if Cousin Eddie is, is not in it? So here's the thing. I had an Uncle Eddie in real life who 
very much is like cousin eddie r.i.p uncle eddie there was like there's a whole like part to this that is so real to me and his his delivery i mean randy quaid you know um he's gone his own way in, in more recent years but at this <laughs> time he was definitely really feeling the, the comedic oats if you will and i just feel like he is in there embodying this guy <laughs> like selling it yeah. that, I, that's one thing i want to say about all of these people the delivery from everyone is spot on for me. Like there's no there's no actor in any of these vacation movies that feel like, wow, they just didn't really get like how to say this line or whatever. Like it's all conveyed in this way that you're like, oh, my God, this is just my family. Like someone in my family would have totally said that. And I feel like that's what gets to me. That's where it like hits me so hard in my heart. Cousin Eddie is representative of every single one of us who has any extended family whatsoever. And there's just always that guy, you know, or is he some sort of conglomeration of many of your cousins or whatever, but everybody's got that cousin, right? Who's acting up, who's doing something weird. You're like, oh my God. They like they brought like their Rottweiler to Christmas dinner. That's a whole thing. <laughs> My parents for a several year period would ship us off to our cousin Eddie and his family uh, every summer for several weeks. We'd have to we actually got used to get on the a train at Grand Central Station and head north to uh, cousin Eddie's house. I'm using cousin Eddie to protect the innocent. And man, it was it was an experience. I, it's definitely a part of my childhood that stayed with me uh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. But I, I feel like I think Randy Quaid is so good here and I think he's so funny here. But for me, and I think a lot of this stuff is it makes Chevy Chevy Chase's reactions to him, I think, are so good. When he's asking about how surprised he is that he showed up, Chevy Chase's deadpan delivery about how he couldn't be more surprised. <laughs> right, right. And those are the parts that like I, I'm I'm sitting forward. I'm like, that is just a plus delivery and 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 just so funny like i love those moments and it's it's giving him a chance to do one of the things i think cherry chase does best is react his reaction work i think is is really really top notch in this movie and cousin cousin eddie and clark together are yeah. like have some of the best scenes ever their chemistry when, is fantastic yeah. when cousin eddie reaches out and touches that little wooden delicate little structure that's like the little windmill right. and it like just smashes into pieces i mean it makes all of us like you know just crack up every every time i don't i I can't really explain it except for just like i think that the one thing that clark brings to the table that is so different than a lot of these other dads that we've seen in the christmas movies is he has this like neurotic portion and this like anxiety portion that is so palpable like it's not just like he wants to do best for his family it's not this i'm going to try to think of some of our other dads like it's not like the dad in christmas story right we're like we don't really get any insight into him Mm-hmm. Or, like, what makes him tick or anything like that. There's something about Clark that's, like, is so vulnerable in so many different ways and and is really trying to do the right thing all the time. But at the same time, he's got this—he's got a short fuse and he's got this— 
just neurotic way about him of how he wants things to look and want things to go. But he's not actually very careful and he's not actually very planned out or anything like that. I feel like this is where Deck the Halls, like where they tried to take parts of him and try to put it into Matthew Broderick, but mm-hmm. it didn't work because he didn't have like that, uh, that other portion of like big heart. Like you didn't get that from that character. And like Clark still has a big heart. He really wants to do all this stuff for his family. Yeah, and I think you'd see Clark here at like the workplace is a great example of this, where has done a great job. He knows he's done a great job. Everyone knows. I mean, the, the conversation about how clearly you're going to get the big bonus. Like, you, you know, you were great. You were great this year. He's taking pride in that and he's banking his, you know, the pool on that, the big family present on that. But at the same time, though, when the suits are coming by, you know, there's that whole scene of, you know, like, screw you and you and you, no, you know, but, kiss my ass, kiss his ass. ass. Right. And that whole scene is like, <laughs> right, like not like under his breath, but like not under his breath, like the loud right. whisper of the room kind of thing. It's that short fuse. So, yeah, he's got a big heart and his, and his intentions are in the right place, but he can't also help himself. I think that just makes him so human to me. Like, it's very so... real. I think I think he is a lot of dads. I think he's a lot of dads. Uh, cross time yeah my dad doesn't i mean he doesn't go in for like that he's not doing the christmas lights and that kind of stuff and i mean you know here's here's the thing you and i as kids don't have any idea how many times our parents had a plan that didn't happen Mm -hmm. you know that they laid in uh, you know awake at night in their bed staring at the ceiling a la clark we don't know because thankfully we we weren't let in on the fact that it was a big disaster and it didn't happen. Right. Um, but we know as parents how many times that we like shoot for the moon and just are like crossing our fingers and hoping that we can make it happen. And most of the time we make some version of it happen. But oh, my God. I mean, having those moments like when Ellen goes out and realizes that it's this, the flipped switch in the garage and that's why the lights aren't coming on. Little tiny moments like that feel like the Christmas miracles that we're like always hoping for my fingers are always crossed we're gonna find how to fix this problem it's got to be something i just i get that feeling so much one of the things i like about clark in this movie as as far as a christmas movie goes because it it hits on something that we've seen a bunch in different ways and some done well and some not done so well is this idea of there's a checklist of things that you have to do at christmas time also that clark feels in his heart as part of the Christmas experience, but there's also an aspect to it where it's him checking off a list. You know, the idea of the lights, right? The 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 big light display in the house is not because he's trying trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, Julia Louis Dreyfus and her husband are next door. They hate the lights, right? They're not they're not competing for that. So it's not him versus a neighbor. It's just it's it's his own mission it's his is own, yeah it's his own inner struggle yeah, right his own inner mission is that like i have to have all of these lights it's uh, it it won't be christmas christmas won't feel right for me unless i have these lights i've hinged for whatever reason you know so many hopes and dreams of christmas on these lights the same with the tree the same with the bonus he he has made this list of things that have to happen when he has his rant you know at the end about how you know they're going to be the biggest you know bunch of you know assholes on this side of the nut house kind of thing that whole rant is kind of him saying like 
there are traditions. Christmas has traditions and it has its rituals and we are going to do them. God damn it. And, you know, don't tell me otherwise. We're salvaging it. We're going to have a turkey no matter how like deflated oh God, it is. So funny. That turkey, like it makes me but like gag a little bit. Crying. I have family members like that. Yeah. who like cry every holiday. Sometimes I'm the one that's crying because I just like the stress gets to me and I try so hard, but it just doesn't turn out the way you want to. Oh my God. It, that, oh, I just, I feel like I know that you didn't grow up with it, but I just feel like that there's at some points in your life, you can like find yourself in the story, whether you were the kid at one point or you're the dad now, or you're the aunt at someone else's party or whatever you are. Like, I feel like it speaks to everybody. Caroline, I am literally every adult in this movie in the last, <laughs> within the last two months, I have been every single adult in this movie. I Tell feel me, like. what's that about? I, it's Well, because I think this movie does a really good job of, you know, especially at holiday time. Time, especially, especially at christmas time <laughs> this you know it's stressful and when you're trying to do it especially trying to do it by yourself and you're playing mom and dad and it, yes. there's a lot of stuff and you 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 set upon yourself your own list of things that have to happen in order that's for the, the thing. thing to be magical yes, my christmas tree has been it. up for two weeks i still don't have any ornaments on it it just has lights but it's there and and god damn it it will have bulbs before the 25th happens when you guys listening to this i i, I swear to God to you, there will be bulbs on that tree, but it hasn't happened yet and it's driving me insane you know, because it feels like it has to like I've built in my head, it has to happen, it will happen, I don't care. Why are you not doing it? What's your hold up? What's the problem? I've been waiting for Tom to do it and things just keep getting in the way, but at this point I'm just going to end up doing it myself because I wanted to have an experience together. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) But it just hasn't happened yet. But you're feeling it, right? Like you get Clark. It's stressful me out man yeah you get it you so get it like this is the whole thing and this is why like it's not about stuff like long struggling wife or any of that kind of it's not about any of that stuff like you know would we rethink their relationship sure you know is there parts that to this that we're like oh geez i wish that didn't handle it the way it was but the reality is that the overwhelming feeling of this is why can't i just get it right like why can't i make a plan for christmas and have it come together and the reality is is like none of us is going to be able to i feel like that's why this is so perfect to be coming out on christmas because it's like i want to give a big hug to all our listeners and be like if you're listening to this that means you're listening to a podcast on christmas right now and like you might be super freaking stressed out because it's not going the way you want it to go you know what we're here for you and we understand and just know that like all these family members coming together or maybe not or maybe you're sitting in the attic watching an old movie reminiscing about how Christmases used to be and feeling super nostalgic whatever all those feelings are this movie's all about the feels right like mm-hmm. you're, you're you've got all the fifis all over you and it just feels like a lot you're like oh my god <laughs> You would say, hallelujah, holy shit, pass the Tylenol. Where's the Tylenol? Uh, Which is the pull quote in the tweet tweet set up for this post, which I have already done. That is the quote that I have. Guys, if you're listening to this on Christmas Day, you're you're not alone. And it's also going to be okay. Whatever is stressing you out, 
the 26 is going to come. You know, the day is going to end. And you know what? Everyone's going to be happy because you're all together. Think of the kids coming to Charlie Brown and singing songs and helping him with the tree and making Christmas magical. There is no such thing as perfection when it comes to the holidays. You know, it only lives in your mind. It's not a real thing because no one else. No one else is going to be thinking, wow, that tree was slightly crooked or that squirrel was feral or the cat was electrocuted into dust or the turkey exploded uh you know no one's really going to be worried about those kinds of things dog man i feel like the dog is a theme we've seen in multiple of these movies i think of the bumpus dogs and all that kind of stuff yes i was thinking back to all the dogs who like man the people who bring a pet to the haunted christmas dinner leave them home (laughs) so crazy but can i give you a little fact about the squirrel just because i mentioned it so leading up to this movie, there had been a squirrel that had been getting trained for all of the things it was going to have to do in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it passed away the day before they were going to film the squirrel's stunt scene. Oh, my God. The, the <laughs> animal so trainer sad. had to come to uh, Jeremiah Chetrick and was like, I'm sorry to tell you, the squirrel passed away. And, <laughs> oh, and no. Jeremiah was like, we're shooting the scene tomorrow. What do you mean? The squirrel's oh, dead. So they had to use an untrained squirrel. And apparently it was absolute chaos. An untrained an untra- an untrained squirrel to do all the things they needed it to do in this movie. Apparently it was oh absolute God. chaos uh, filming wise. You know what? But is that that's the epitome of Christmas vacation, though, Mike, that you would it plan is. and have a train school and it would die the day before it needs to do its and, thing. And the most cousin Eddie quote ever from the animal trainer to Jeremiah Chetrick, you know, squirrels don't live that long. <laughs> that's what he said to him he said yeah squirrels don't live that long yeah yeah, yeah. very so. funny okay mike let's get into is this a christmas movie caroline yes is this a christmas movie <laughs> Yes, it's a Christmas movie. It's absolutely a Christmas movie. It's got songs. It's got all the family themes. It's got it's got joy. It's got grief. It's got you know nostalgia. It's it's got everything I want in a Christmas movie. How about you, Mike? Yes, it is actually You're a, dying a, there. You're like ah. No, no. I was going to ask you about Holiday Ride. I guess this is the first. Yeah, this, this is the first uh, vacation movie in the series that doesn't have Lindsay Buckingham's Holiday Ride featured in it. Uh, oh, they geez. actually wrote some like original music for this movie as like its theme tune i was curious if that was as as a fan of the series of movies if that was something that you missed but doesn't sound like you did so no i'm good i know it's absolutely a christmas movie i think you know if i've learned anything over the last 52 weeks of doing this podcast with you is everything that's happening here to clark and his family is is just bringing up the themes of family at christmas time it is also heightened we i feel like we've talked about this so many times from bad moms through jingle all the way through a christmas story all of these fam family coming together you know for christmases and and getting mma wrestled you know in your your father's house bad things can happen stress runs high emotions get heightened and everything seems so much more important than it probably actually is at christmas time well you get that feeling like you only have one chance to get it right and it has to be perfect 
that's the other thing. It, I, I only have it's one day a year. I have to get it right no matter how much I plan. The fucking squirrel is going to die before <laughs> before the day um, of Christmas and it still has to be perfect. That feeling is a feeling we all have, I think, from time to time on Christmas in particular. The 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 waves of family coming in, and they're all so no perfect. You know, uh, Ellen's family and Clark's family, the the generations just overwhelming the house all at once. It 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 all feels so familiar at different parts of our lives. Some of us are going through it now. Some of us feel like Clark now. Some of us grew up with Clarks and Ellen's. Uh, yeah, this movie is Christmas through and through. I think especially for our generation, though. I think our generation very much grew up with this family dynamic. No, I don't know what kids today feel like if they have the same kind of family dynamic and feel because we're the Clarks and Ellen's now. Uh, Mm -hmm. of their world and i don't know if we act the way they acted here but i think for us this was very much what family felt like if not this even if it wasn't the specific actions it wasn't the lights the feeling the vibe feels very real and very familiar yeah i think this movie is a christmas movie through and through yay okay well let's get into our trivia ready for some fast facts go for it the Griswold house is the same house they used in WandaVision. For you younger folk who have been watching WandaVision, check it out. Uh, after failing to get the Christmas lights to work one last time, Clark Griswold takes his frustration out on the plastic decorations in the front yard. Who hasn't wanted to beat the snot out of a Santa Claus? Uh, well, unfortunately, Chevy Chase actually broke his pinky finger while punching Santa Claus in that scene. He resorts to kicking and clubbing the direct decorations after that. The they kept filming the scene, and that was actually the take that was used. The scene where he broke his pinky. Oh my goodness. The old Dodge pickup that tailgated Clark and the family in the opening scenes of the movie was previously used as Kurt Russell's work truck in Overboard and They Live. You mentioned uh, where we might have seen the Griswold house before, but the Warner's back lot was used for the neighborhood, for the Griswold's neighborhood. It's the same one used as uh, from the TV show The Middle, Mm. which featured Brian Doyle Murray, who plays Mr. Shirley in this movie, in a recurring role as Mr. Ellert. And Doris Roberts, who is Francis in this movie, had a recurring role as Ms. Rinsky in The Middle. So lots of lots of Warner Brothers back lot uh, related Uh, views in this movie (laughs) when clark and cousin eddie are talking in the living room they're drinking eggnog out of wally world cups wally world was the destination of the griswolds if you guys don't remember a national lampoon's vacation in 1983 it's super funny to see the little antlers (laughs) they're holding the antlers like little dainty antlers it's very Very funny funny. There, another uh, vacation throwback was uh, when Clark was going to look out the vent in the attic as the family is getting in the car. That you could see a little plaque with the Yellowstone Park just seen just above the attic vent. The Griswolds visited Yellowstone on their way out to Wally World in National Lampoon's vacation. You know, I was I was going to ask you, having since you don't really like know or like love the franchise, then cousin Eddie, like I wonder if he like has as much impact on you as like he does on me because like I've seen where he lives and i've like they go visit him and you know they hang out in their house and i've met his other kids and all that kind of stuff like i'm curious like if do you feel like you need to know more about cousin eddie would you want to go see more about i him? think i enjoy him more because i don't really know about cousin eddie this because ah. i feel like he's more like a tornado who just comes in with his rv <laughs> and i that that feels funny to me and again i i think i went to live with the cousin eddie and his family a <laughs> lot as a child I, I definitely feel like i'm related <laughs> 
related to Cousin Eddie and his family. So I mean, like I actually probably know backstory wise everything I need to know. Hilarious. Okay. You know, Beverly D'Angelo, when the SWAT team crashes the house, she instinctively grabs Clark's crotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the SWAT team is holding them, uh, holding them kind of hostage. Bev D'Angelo gave a, an interview later. She said that she actually did that only on one take on the off chance that it would make the film's final cut, which is what happened. <laughs> She's also the one credited with giving Clark his nickname Sparky. That's just something that Beverly D'Angelo just felt fit him. Isn't that cute? That wasn't in the writing or anything. She named him Sparky. I think she is an essential cog in this movie. She calls Chevy Chase Sparky in real life. Like when they meet up with each other, she calls him Sparky. How adorable is that? It's very adorable. Despite being a Christmas movie, Christmas Day actually is never seen. This movie ends on Christmas Eve. So for all you people out there that only judge Christmas movies because it has to take place on Christmas, suck it. You're wrong. That was a lot. The gloves Uh, are off. We're we're at week 52. The gloves are off, people. (laughs) The shoes that Cousin Eddie wears are the same ones he gave Clark as a gift in the original vacation. Those white loafers are hysterical. They're so shiny. (laughs) I cannot imagine having shiny white loafers. Like, that's so funny to me. Those are Cousin Eddie's. Brian Doyle Murray. That's the second time we're mentioning him. He plays uh, Clark's boss in this movie. This is actually the second of two vacation movies that he appears in. He is Frank Shirley in this one. In the very first movie in National Lampoon's Vacation, he plays Camp Comfort Clerk, where the Griswolds stop to stay on their way out to Wally World. (laughs) As the Griswold family members are arriving at the front door, It's a Wonderful Life is showing on the TV. That film was directed, as you all know, because you're all super learned listeners at this point by frank capra and capra's grandson frank capra the third was the assistant director on this movie Aww. love a little shout out y'all having to go back to early january to listen to our it's a wonderful life episode that was a week <gasps> one look at the bookends we're giving you people wow. week one and week 52 all at y'all once are you feeling the weeks we've put into this for you oh this is a fun one so i think one of the most famous parts of this movie is clark's rant when he opens up his bonus finally and he has a lot of things to say about mr shirley his boss it was rumored and it's been confirmed by certain cast members that uh the rant was ad-libbed but with an asterisk what the audience doesn't see is that each of the cast members that are kind of standing and circling clark when he's giving that rant they were all had they all had signs hanging around their necks that each had a word written on them because they were touchstone words that Chevy Chase had to hit in the rant because he says like th- he calls them like 30 different things in the course of the yes. rant so they were uh, various like adjectives and other words that he had to include in the rant they're all like wearing little signs around their neck so that he could just kind of like see them easily as he was uh as he was going off <laughs> one of my very favorite scenes <laughs> it's it's a classic it's definitely a classic what is your favorite scene i think that's it because you because this movie is a, a big one for you do you have a favorite scene okay well the one that always gets like the biggest laugh out of like the littlest and the oldest person in the room is always when clark is hanging the christmas lights and he and he's falling off the roof like all the like whoa 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 like all that slap sticky vaudevillian kind of acting he's doing where he's like slipping around falling doing everything, all that my grandma 
mother always laughs the hardest. She's 95. And whatever youngest child's in the room always laughs at that. And so it always makes me chuckle. That part always puts a big smile on my face because it's very, it's it's very early in the movie. And um, it just, I don't, there's something about it that it's just the, the hijinks of it all. Just, it puts me in such a good mood. I love all that. How about you? Do you actually have a favorite scene? I, or? Have, I have two. One is you, can, you can't tell Professor Elvira McGonagall, uh, my cat, but when the cat bites the Christmas cord and gets electrocuted, <laughs> always makes me laugh. Right. Uh, do you know, actually, the studio begged them to take that scene out of the movie yeah. uh, and they did not want to and they left it in for test audiences the test audiences almost across the board rated it their favorite part of the movie and so the <laughs> studio relented and let them keep it in because the studio was worried that they would get such <laughs> negative feedback for it my absolute favorite scene though the one that i think about when i think about this movie is the shitter is full oh, I, I find that so starting with clark hugging Ellid and and describing what he sees out the window and then cutting <laughs> cutting to cousin Eddie with the hose and the robe and the hat it, it's it's very 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 funny to me it's it makes me laugh way too much every single time Bethany too cousin Bethany she's a she's one of the smallest little characters but she cracks me up so hard and she, when she goes play ball like that whole portion love it love it love it love it love it it's it all there's so many tiny small moments like sort of in between the lines I want to say like pay attention to the background look around what other things are happening there's so many small moments that just crack me up every single time do it. you guys stand up and sing the national anthem at christmas time in your no house? i do not you don't? No, do you no no <laughs> no but i like the idea of it though i think it's very patriotic i think it i think it brings a nice fourth of july energy to the christmas season <laughs> what's your pro <laughs> which i'm pro anyone who's listened to this podcast is arbor day fourth of july oh christmas <laughs> those are those are mike's big holidays so oh my god that's so funny <laughs> Yeah, we haven't talked about Arbor Day and Fourth of July in quite a while. But I, I think know, if you guys right? listened to the early episodes, it came up just about every single week. We <laughs> so. had considered having an uh, 52 weeks of Arbor Day, but we just weren't sure there'd be enough topics. I wonder how many day. times we could watch the Lorax, though. <laughs> exactly. Well, like the Giving Tree, we could hit that one. Oh, Come yeah. on, now there's more. We could we could hit this. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> guys, when, 10 years from now, when we're still doing 52 weeks of fill-in-the-blank podcasts, Someone look, write in and say, do Arbor Day. Look out for 52 weeks of Arbor Day celebration. It's going to be fantastic. I have to tell you, you're, you're asking me about my favorite scene. The other one that always makes me tear up, though, too, is when he's in the attic and he's watching the... That's a very sweet scene, yeah. Excuse me. He's watching the, the home movies because... We have like movies on film like that, um, like and a projector and all this stuff. Like I have that, and with with a with shoeboxes of a film of my family from like way back then. In the same way of the same era, that's the thing of the same like fifties era that he's watching. It's all so familiar. You could change faces out, and it's like that's what my uncle looked like or my grandma. <laughs> and him wearing the Gloria Swanson outfit for no reason is just uh, is He's just pretty to classic. Stay warm. <laughs> I, I don't, that's not a but, warm but I outfit love that, though. Like, genie, the silks, the yeah. genie hat, and the gloves. Yeah, it's very very funny. <laughs> so cute, the little turban. All right, Caroline, it's time yes. to get to our jingle bell ratings. There's no clip to play for next week. Oh, that is the saddest thing. So we're this. just up to Jingle Bell ratings. Because after we get this Jingle Bell ratings, then we have to give the listeners our top 10 movies each. Bum, bum, bum. I'm not ready. You go. I'm going to give this one... I, over, I got to tell you, I've, I've raised my Jingle Bell rating over the course of this discussion. 
Okay. That makes me feel happy because when we started talking about this, I was like, I don't want to talk to you about this movie because you don't like it near as much as I do. I was originally going to get this in eight Jingle Bells because I definitely found it. I definitely found it funny. It definitely hits on the Christmas themes. But, you know, I, I don't have I don't have the nostalgia aspect for it, which I think will add Jingle Bells to, to a movie every now and then. But over the course of talking about it, I realized how much of this movie I actually do identify with and is actually really prevalent in my own life. And maybe that's what the block was for me. Maybe this movie is a little too real <laughs> uh, in some ways, in, in some ways for my life. And maybe that was uh, that maybe that was the source of my anxiety but thinking about it though like there's a lot here that i really do identify with across the board and i'm going to focus i'm going to choose to focus on clark's ambitions from a good place for his family versus the less savory aspects of his character and really seize on that as as something that makes me laugh because i can identify it with so much so i'm actually i'm taking this all the way up a full jingle bell i'm giving this one nine jingle bells I can accept that. I will accept it. Like, I don't know what to give this. I'm so struggling because it has so much nostalgia for me. And yet I know there's parts to it that, you know, especially in 2021, I see it in a different way. And I definitely feel like, you know, I felt a certain way about Ellen and Clark. It's Caroline's Jingle Bell ratings. And so nostalgia is part of that. The aspects that speak to you are part of that. The parts that haven't aged great is definitely part of that but it's your jingle bell rating though not what not what others would give it they can do their own podcast it's what you're giving it <laughs> see i don't know that it's access accessible to everyone like if it's not accessible to you then i was like oh no i didn't say it's not accessible to me well like it wasn't part of your family stuff and so then i'm like oh, oh it's not a it doesn't it's not like everybody's families I, I, no, no, no. But it wasn't a movie that we grew up with. That's all I was saying. I, I, I said, I mean, this was very much my father it was very much Clark Griswold in all the bad ways. And, you know, I'm I'm Clark in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to Christmas time planning, uh, for sure. So, no, no, I think it's accessible. And I think this is the movie, even with the the some of the language and, and, and whatever. This is definitely a movie I think you could have on in the background, no matter who's in the house, whether it's, you know, Nana or if it's well, uh, one of the younger kids. version that that kind of i think it's more cleaned up yeah but <laughs> like even, but even like you know i don't the, think so swears even like the shitter is full though like i i mean we, we i don't know what they they certainly can't have bleeped that right so they, do, no, do they play it's, just, it? it's just acceptable now i mean we i we did a we did a christmas card with tom when he was six we dressed him up like cousin eddie and it said the shitter is full inside the christmas card <gasps> it did and tom still very angry about doing this like he we were just talking about it he remembers it was like seven years ago it's one of the only memories he has from his childhood and he's still very angry that we made him do it that it cannot be one of the only memories he has of his childhood it's the only one he likes to talk about what a comment <laughs> it's oh the only gosh. only one he talks about he doesn't talk about fantastic disney vacations from when he was four or five he talks about how he dressed him up like cousin eddie in the cold winter and took a christmas picture so Ugh, it was okay. a great picture though it was really funny all right, Mike, I am going to give this one 9.9 .9 Jingle Bells. Wah, 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 wah. I knew you were going to do that. I felt it in my heart. I was like, he's going to air horn me. Well, that's a, that's a big number. You're saying this one tenth off a of perfect for you. That's yeah. That's this is this is your Charlie Brown Christmas. This is my Charlie Brown Christmas. It's here is the thing. It has to do with my own relationship with this movie. I understand that other people in the world are going to be like, "Look, I have issue with that, or I have issue with this, or whatever." 
But it's my own relationship with this movie. My son wears the Clark Griswold, Griswold, like, um, jersey, the hockey jersey. And, and it is gigantic on me. Like, I've put it on before, and it looks like I'm wearing, like, this big old dress. And I, like, I just love that. I love that that has been passed down from my dad and, and to him and to to have my grandparents watch this movie with me. And just, I don't know, I'm all wrapped up in the feels when I watch this movie. And then I can just relate so hardcore to wanting to provide like a magical Christmas for everybody and have all the right elements in place and just fighting so hard against just the universe to try to make it happen. I feel like a lot of people are feeling this this year, Mike. I mean, with COVID everywhere, making another like pandemic holiday season for everyone. I think that there's an even more intense feel of like, what, like, yeah, I can do everything right. And I still can't get the perfect Christmas that I thought I could have. Oh, it's just so hard. And so this movie, like many of the movies on our list, like make me laugh, make me make me get a little weepy at the nostalgic parts, you know, make me it's one of those movies where I love watching it with other people. And I look around the room and they're smiling so big. And that makes me smile so big. It's a whole thing. I admit it. It's a whole thing. So 9.9. All of those reasons ring true. I see it. I feel it. I, I've known it. It's the reason we're doing this movie last. I, I didn't want you to have to downvote this for the sake of something else coming along later on that you'd feel maybe you were compelled to put above it. Uh, it was a little strategery on old Mike's part putting this one last. <laughs> nice. We've given our Jingle Bell ratings to you for the last 52 weeks. And now it's time for us to reveal our top 12 holiday Christmas movies out of the last 52 weeks. Drum roll, please. That's a good drum roll. It's what I do. (laughs) It's what I do. You might be thinking, why 12? Why not 10? But I feel like it's the 12 days of Christmas. We should give you 12. Also, it worked out better for the way we did our scores. Side note, side, squiggle, squiggle. Asterisk, side note, it worked out better. Squiggle, squiggle. It, it allowed us to avoid having to make heartbreaking decisions. So, okay. but though, I should say, we approach this in two different ways. And I think that actually is value added to the listeners because I did more of a top 12 countdown, you know, to, uh, like Casey Kasem style. Count down your favorite hits from 12 to 1. And you, uh, Caroline, you did more of an age-based approach. You kind of bunched right. them together as you've you felt them best per age group exactly so you can figure out where you are in your life and figure out which chunk of movies match you all right well uh ladies first give us your first age group uh and group of movies okay so i'm starting with my littlest bunch of peeps and i'm saying that you guys have to watch mickey's christmas carol frosty the snowman charlie brown and how the grinch stole christmas the 1966 version you're given a solid foundation to the, yes. cr- the meaning of Christmas. <laughs> These are your littles. These are from like just starting to watch TV to early elementary. I don't want to tip my hat too much, but they're not just for littles <laughs> uh, <laughs> when it comes to I, some favorites. <laughs> now, here, now, here's the deal. Of course, that still makes it very family friendly for everyone. I'm just saying we're, I'm chunking by ages. So go ahead. My numbers 12 and 11 had the same score. They came in a tied at nine jingle bells. That was the lowest of the top tier 
of movies. So coming in at number 11 and 12 tied, you have Mickey's Christmas Carol 19, from 1983 and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989. Two wildly different age groups and brackets. One very much for the little kids and one for the, I guess the whole family, but definitely for, for your older kids and, and the adults in there, I think, to get to get the most out of, of Christmas Vacation. Coming in at nine Jingle Bells for me. My next group up comes in at 9.25 Jingle Bells. This will take us for numbers 8, 9, and 10. So all these movies, I, I went over, I poured over it, I had my abacus out, I was doing counting. I came up with Love Actually from 2003, The Christmas Chronicles from 2018, and Elf from 2003. All came in for me at 9. 0.25 Jingle Bells. My next grouping, this is another grouping of four, you know, again, still family friendly, but I was specifically thinking like, okay, so now you have that next age group of kids, maybe elementary, middle, somewhere around there. So for that group of kids, I said Muppets Christmas Carol, Home Alone, Elf, and A Christmas Story. The late single digits, early uh, prepubescent uh, double digit angst. So, and uh, side note, just for like, if you if you uh, just want to check out something that's like the alternative to A Christmas Story right now, 8-Bit Christmas, I think, is a modern retelling of A Christmas Story. And you could definitely hit that one up as well. If we had known about it, I think we definitely would have covered it. I really enjoyed 8-Bit Christmas. I'm also going to give a shout out to the animated Netflix original, which came out two years ago, Klaus, K-L-A-U-S, Klaus. I, I thought it was wonderful. It was actually a tip from my son, Tom. I absolutely loved it. Nice. Those are like some honorable mentions. And honorable mentions that really we just didn't know <laughs> about in time. So the rest of my scores are all individual scores. No more ties. It's it, We're getting down to it now. Everyone's holding their own spot. So coming in at number seven, I have Miracle on 34th Street from 1947. Covered that way back in February. I'm coming in at 9.3 Jingle Bells. Number six on my list, 1990s Home Alone, which we covered at the end of July. 9.4 Jingle Bells. Christmas Story for 1983 coming in at number five. Oh, that was the week right before Home Alone, right in that batch. Mm -hmm. A curious clump uh, of movies uh, coming in at nine and a half Jingle Bells, 9.5 Jingle Bells. And then my number four, I'm going to leave you here with my number four, 1969's Frosty the Snowman, which, again, we covered way back in February, February 20th, coming in at 9.6 Jingle Bells. I couldn't get away from the magic of the snow. My brain kept going back to uh, that wonderful opening, so I couldn't, I couldn't get away from Frosty. My last chunk of four, again, this was all in no particular order, but just more like where does your family lie in this age groupings. I picked... Christmas Chronicles, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And then if you want to hit up some oldies but goodies, I suggest It Happened on 5th and Miracle on 34th Street. Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? <laughs> I couldn't decide. So I pulled, Always going to make me laugh. <laughs> that one, because I, I, I didn't get to play it when we were talking about it earlier in this episode. We're going to press on, and we're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. <laughs> It's always funny. It's always funny. It's always funny. Always funny. Coming in at number three for me is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 1966 animated original. Covered that just recently on December 11th. That's coming in at 9.75 Jingle Bells. Number two, this actually had a huge jump. This was by far the biggest jump. This one almost went up a full Jingle Bell when I sat down to do my final numbers. Number two, I have The Muppet Christmas Carol from 1992. Mm. 
Couldn't shake it. Kermit making me cry. Kermit just hitting the Christmas carol. I mean, I don't think you get more Christmassy than the Christmas carol. Kermit and Miss Piggy and yeah, it all was just hitting me and Michael Caine. We covered that back on January 23rd. So you know that has staying power. I mean, that was the very beginning of the podcast coming in at 9.8 Jingle Bells. It went from a 9 to a 9.8 when they did my final numbers here. And coming in at number one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965. We covered that on February 27th. I gave it a 9.9 then, and it stayed all the way through. For me, it's just the absolute definition of what Christmas is about. And it's what I think of when I think of Christmas movies and Christmas messaging and everything that I personally believe about Christmas. It's all wrapped up in Charlie and Snoopy and the whole Peanuts gang. A Charlie Brown Christmas coming in from 1965 for my number one. (laughs) I'm respecting the piano. We all are. Yeah, it just doesn't get better for me uh, than uh, than Charlie Brown Christmas. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of had a feeling it would stay that way, and it did. But, man, there were some really great entries that came in during the course of this podcast that I didn't expect to come. Ones that I thought I loved. You know, I'm looking at you, Rudolph, that looking back on it and rewatching it with a critical Christmas eye and, and messaging eye just didn't stand up for me. And other ones I didn't know about or I had forgotten about that really kind of shined for me me when you look back caroline were there any that jump out at you as a surprise either in how much you ended up liking it or how much on a rewatch you it just didn't stand up for you anymore the muppet christmas carol again i didn't expect to get all teary-eyed with kermit and i most certainly did for new one christmas chronicles i had never seen it before it's a fresh take on santa that i really loved i had never seen it happen on fifth and that one was such an old movie that just had such great themes and it just i don't know it warmed my heart Like, I had no idea I was going to love that movie so much. And I just really did. I think if you expanded that to my top 15, you're definitely going to get it happened on fifth there. It really was just knocking on the door. And in the end, just couldn't come all the way through into the the 12 days. But if (laughs) if we, you know, if we did extra large 15 days of Christmas, I think you're going to see it happened on fifth. You're going to see Die Hard. I really enjoyed Christmas Chronicles, too. It really actually took me way back because I don't expect new things for me to enjoy them. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? So, I mean, having 8-Bit Christmas, which we gave the honorable mention to, which is super new, and Christmas Chronicles, which came out last year but end of 2018 such new movies hitting me in a way that i really enjoyed them and they really stayed with me it was a pleasant surprise because i thought i was too old to be surprised by things <laughs> those were the couple i feel like i remember myself saying something like like they caught me off guard that i didn't know they were going to be that good and that i was really going to be like sucked into them yeah this has been an adventure mike i'm super glad we got a chance to delve into all these different movies and revisit some of our old loves Guys, well, that's our top 12 of holiday movie Christmas movies. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podclubhouse.com or on Twitter or on Instagram, Facebook. You can always find us at podclubhouse. Let us know what your top movies are. You know, we've actually already heard for some people ones that we didn't cover that they're wishing we did other ones that we did cover and they didn't know about. So, yeah, definitely uh, reach out and let us know what your top movies are. We would love to hear from you. We hope you guys have enjoyed listening to us for the last year. I wanted to do this podcast. If you think back all the way to the beginning, it was Thanksgiving of 2020, deep into the pandemic. I was feeling real down and I was feeling a little lost. And I told Caroline, I need Christmas more than just 
Christmas time. I, I needed a year of Christmas magic. Uh, I'm so happy she was on board to do these 52 weeks of Christmas movies with me. I got to tell you, it has been a source of joy and and Christmas joy this whole year. It has made a 2021 year, which was kind of weird and wacky, something that has made me smile and has made my soul and my heart feel a little bit lighter and, uh, and much happier. Uh, I'm going to miss doing Christmas movies, but I am excited that, you know, after a little bit of time away, we're going to come back with 52 weeks of iconic comedies. So maybe we won't have Christmas magic, but I think we're going to laugh a lot in the next year, uh, one way or another. So, Caroline, I just want to say thank you for being an excellent podcast partner in these last 52 weeks. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you inviting me. It was a, it was a surprise when you asked, and it's been a joy every week since. I just want to thank you guys again for listening. I hope we hope you come back and join us for the 52 weeks of iconic comedies because we like to tie things to certain dates in the same way we're airing this episode on Christmas day. We're going to launch the 52 weeks of iconic comedies on April fool's day. So April fool's day, April 1st, 2022, look for the brand new podcast to start dropping for the last time on the 52 weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you guys so much for listening to the 52 weeks of Christmas podcast. If you wouldn't mind going over to Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate review and subscribe. And while you're there, especially if you're at Apple or Spotify podcasts, please leave us a five star review. We really need it to help promote the show and all of our podcasts at pod clubhouse. And you know, if you don't, we're going to electrocute your cat. We're going to do it. We're going to burn through all nine lives that that little kitty has. Meow, meow, meow. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.